This is Remnant the Podcast, Episode 6, Season 1. This is Sanctified, and I am introducing my wife, Redeem. She's going to be sharing a little bit um, about what the Lord's showing her uh, these last few months, I think it was. So I want her to share what the Lord's put on her heart. So listen up, tune up. You don't want to miss it. Redeem. Hey, Sam, Redeemed here. I'm, I just t- taught a study on the book of Ruth for a women's ministry, which was such a blessing. And my husband told me I need to make a podcast and reteach it. So I'm going to try to reteach it, even though I just taught it, and hopefully not. I don't know how people do two services. I don't know how I'm going to not get mixed up because I literally just taught it like a couple hours ago. But he insists that I teach it again. And it is near and dear to my heart. The Lord gave me this word. He's been building on it a couple months. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity to share it with some women in my church. And I want to share it with you guys because it's on the book of Ruth. And what the Lord put on my heart's title is The Roller Coaster of Ruth. I had just got back from a trip to an amusement park and was on the coasters and was having so much fun. And around that same time, I was studying the book of Ruth. Even while on vacation, God was just giving me so much meat from his word and I was just getting excited to share it with other people because when God shows you something beautiful and he gives you those treasures, you just want to share it with others. And life has so many ups and downs and turnarounds and flip arounds. And that's what I want to get into in the book of Ruth, because when you read the book of Ruth, the story of Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth, they went through some roller coasters. They had some drops and they had some tragedies and they had some miracles and they had some amazing things happen and that's kind of how it is in our life there's just so much to be learned from god's word that we can apply to our life so let's just jump right in so in the book of ruth we're going to start in chapter one and it talks about naomi losing her husband and sons that's what the title of this is naomi loses her husband and sons chapter one in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land so a man from bethlehem and judah together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of moab the man's name was elimelech and his wife's name was naomi and the names of their two sons were mahlon and kilian they were ephrathites from bethlehem judah and when they went and they went to moab and lived there now i'm going to stop there for a minute so we have this family from um the tribe of ephraim from bethlehem judah And Elimelech is the dad, and his name means God is my king. Naomi is the mom, and her name means pleasant. And their two sons, Mahlon and Kilian, Mahlon means sickly, and Kilian means destructive or pining, which is really interesting because whenever you don't just gloss over names in the Bible, but you also actually study them, you can get a lot more in-depth peek into that picture, into the story of what God's trying to teach us. So there was a famine and they left the land that God placed them because this was their inheritance. Um, Bethlehem and Judah, they had an inheritance there because they're one of the tribes of Judah. They're from the, the tribe of Ephrathites. They decided to leave and go to Moab. And I'm assuming it was the dad's decision. Usually the men would make the big decisions. And I'm sure Naomi as a pleasant wife supported him. But Moab was known for idol worship and just a lot of pagan practices and it was not a place where god normally would send his people unless we see a specific thing of god telling them to go there we don't see that in this first couple verses of this first chapter it makes me wonder if elimelech was not really trusting in god 
sometimes we do that as people, as mothers and fathers. Sometimes we want to take things into our own hands. Um, oh no, there's not enough money. Let's do this or let's do that. And then it ends up causing more trouble and more turmoil because we're going to see some more crazy things happen after they get there. But they leave God's land and go to Moab um, and they live there. And now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. So now she's there, single mom, in a foreign land where she doesn't have her family support system. And there, it's just, it's a bad scene. It's not the place that worships, you know, the God and of, of Israel. This is a whole different culture. And it says she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other named Ruth, after they had lived there about 10 years. Both Mahlon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. That's verse 3 through 5. So now Elimelech dies. She lets her sons get married to two Moabite women. Remember, different culture, whole different religious system. And then her two sons die after they'd lived there about 10 years. No baby. So then they have to suffer with, suffer with infertility. Another tragedy. It's like trial after trial, like drop after drop in the roller coaster of life. Husband dies. Okay, try to get these, these two, you know, Moabite women for her sons. Thinking, okay, we're going to build a happy life. No babies. No grandbabies. 10 years passes. Then both of her sons die. I'm assuming within short proximity to each other. And now it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. All of a sudden, it's like one thing after another. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out for the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Interesting, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. And if you think about it, they left the house of bread because there was a famine and they went to a different place where they were hoping to receive food, but they've just experienced trial and tribulation after trial and tribulation. And now Naomi is going back home because she heard that there was food there, that I guess the famine was over. So they head back to the land of Judah. Verse eight, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back home, each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to two sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No. My daughters, it is more bitter for me than it is for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. And I'm going to stop right there. We're at verse 14. So Naomi released her daughters-in-law. She said, girls, you're still young. You can build a life. Go home. Go back to your land. And the daughter said, no, we'll stay with you. And she said, what for? You need, you need to build a life. I have no hope anymore. You guys go and start a life. And they wept aloud. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Now the name Orpha means stiff neck. And the name Ruth means companion or friend. And the way you pronounce it is actually root, like R-O-O-T, root. And it's spelled R-U-T. And it means companion. And I think that's really interesting, again, how names have such a deep meaning in scripture and in real life. I encourage you to look up what your name means. And they wept. Orpha left. Ruth wanted to stay. She clung to her. She hung on to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. 
But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. We get a glimpse of Ruth's devotion and dedication. She truly was a companion and a friend. She knew that if she sent her mother-in-law back without any offspring, what a shame it would be to her. And also there'd be no one to provide. Naomi is older in age now. She can't go out and get a job or work the land. And Ruth knew that she would need her for survival. I mean, from the scriptures later on, we can see that Ruth was still beautiful and young and able to get a husband. She could have went right back to Moab to her family and, you know, lived a lush, luxurious life, but she wasn't focused on herself. I see that Ruth actually had a relationship with the living God because she says, your God is my God. Your people be my people. We can see her developing that that relationship with the Lord, probably through her mother-in-law's example, because she's so devoted and so compassionate to her mother-in-law's needs and she wants to go with her and I know God's going to honor and bless that so when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her she stopped urging her so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem when they arrived in Bethlehem the whole town was stirred because of them and the women exclaimed can this be Naomi don't call me Naomi she told them call me Mara because the almighty has made my life very bitter I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty why call me Naomi the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. What I see right here is Naomi being really real. She wasn't being rude or mean or disrespectful. She was just speaking how it was. She went out and her name was meant pleasant. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. She has no, no lineage to carry on their name, which was very important in that culture. And she felt like the Almighty had afflicted her. She felt like God had turned his face against her. And she didn't curse him. She just acknowledged that this is what happened. This is how it is. And I want listeners to understand and know that God can take it. God can take our, our criticism. God can take our, our truth. God can take our messy words. He loves us and he will, he will minister to us through it. And there's been times where I've said, everything's gone. It's over. I'm, I'm bitter. It's over. God's hand is against me. And I felt, you know, that God had turned his face away, but God absolutely showed up and showed out and, and did a miracle. And he's going to, for Naomi, he's going to do a miracle for her. But right now she's feeling very left. She's feeling very alone. She's feeling bitter and she's being honest about it. It's okay to be honest with God and our struggles. He can handle, he's a big God. He doesn't get mad. He's not going to whoop us. He's going to teach us through it. And so she says that, and Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem right as the barley harvest was beginning. And I think that there's a lot of symbolism in that. The harvest was beginning. The season of famine was over. Whatever caused it, was it her husband's choice to leave God's land and go to a foreign land, to go to a worldly place? Is that what brought all the misfortune? I don't know. It, it could have played a part in it. Maybe he felt led. That season of loss is over, and now we're getting into a season of harvest. So then we get into chapter two. I want to make some notes on chapter one, though, before we go to chapter two. So the roller coaster of Ruth, you know, whenever you go up the roller coaster, it's like click, 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 click. And I know whenever I'd go up, I'd start praying, even when I wasn't a, a believer, because you realize, oh, my goodness, I'm putting my life in the hands of this 18-year-old kid that's operating this thing. And we beg. We're like, God, don't let us die on the roller coaster. Let it work, you know, in the intensity of the moment. 
and then it drops and we're like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? And you think you're, you see your life flashing before your eyes and then you have these loop-de-loops and it's like, what is going on? And everything's shaking up inside of you and you feel just completely at loss and confused and, and then it's actually enjoyable and, and you're gliding and you're like, this is actually really fun and that's how life is. There's these drops and there was famine in the land. Then they relocated to Moab, pagan idolatry. This is a land of idolatry. God's word forbid that. Then her husband dies, drop after drop after drop. Whenever bad things happen, don't they happen? They say, oh, it always happens in, in groups of three. I don't know about three, sometimes four or six, but it's, it's always more than one. It's always multiple things that happen in my life and in my people in my circle's life, and I'm sure in your life. It's one thing after another. Then her husband dies. I mean, some of us have not experienced actual physical death of a spouse. And some, unfortunately, have. And I'm sure the pain is unbearable. Many of us might have not experienced a husband dying, but we've experienced our love dying or our marriage dying because sin brings death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If any of you have had a spouse that have struggled with porn addiction or you hurt yourself, it brings death. It brings death to the marriage. And the beauty of God is, is he can resurrect dead things. He can resurrect dead marriages. Sometimes it's it's drugs or alcohol or other addictions or just selfishness or just carelessness can bring death to a marriage. Maybe you haven't experienced a spouse dying, but you've experienced death in your marriage where everything died and you thought there's no way it can come back. Maybe you said the D word or it actually has happened. The D word is divorce. It's a cuss word in our house. You can't say it. It's a cuss word. It's not an option, right? But sometimes it's the only option or sometimes it just happens. And it's a sad reality that we live in and people go through this and it's tragedy after tragedy. So her husband dies and then she's left with two sons. Now she's a single parent. By the grace of God, I've been married for 20 years together for 24. I haven't experienced single parenthood, but my mom was a single mom. My grandma was a single mom and my great grandma was a single mom. So maybe I myself haven't lived it myself, but I've seen it. So I have lived it and I have such a heart and the mercy and the compassion for single parents because it is a heavy, heavy job. It is a big, big job. And it is difficult and it is near impossible to do without the strength of God on your life. So we have drop after drop, famine, relocated, husband died, left with two sons, single parenting. Imagine the provision. I mean, how is she putting food on the table, being a, a woman in that culture where you can't really work? And then things kind of looked up. She took two wives for her son. She thought it was good, right? The culture pressure of getting your kids married, I'm sure, in that day and age, even though it was two women that were not necessarily believers in their faith, and they were very big in their faith, you know, in Judaism. They were Moabitesses. There's some religious pressure there. Their beliefs are way different than the son's beliefs. Imagine all the turmoil that might have caused. And then they have 10 years dwelling in Moab. 10 years, but no baby. Again, infertility. I'm thankful to God that I've never struggled with infertility, but I'm kind of bitter that I don't know more about it because I can't relate to the pain and the sorrow that people feel. I have seven children. I'm so grateful. It's such a blessing, but I hurt that I can't understand what it feels like to not have children. I hurt that I don't, I can't sympathize on that level. And I want to, because I can imagine, I can imagine it. And it must, it must be so, so painful. And they went through this for 10 years. And I, I never know how to respond. I'm like, I want to minister. And I don't know how. I can minister to drug addicts. I can minister to people that have struggled with suicide. How do I minister in this way? You know, they had no offspring for 10 years. 
like what was Naomi thinking? What was what was going through her mind? What was Ruth and and Orpha and Killian and Mahlon thinking? Is this punishment for marrying, you know, out of out of our religion? Or what's going on? Is God good? I'm sure there were so many questions going through their mind. But God had a plan. God's gonna bring Jesus through this lineage. He had a plan. He was preserving Ruth for a very special job. God works all things together for the good. So no offspring born, and then both sons die. Both sons. I mean, it says it in one sentence. How close did this happen? I've seen families go through tragedies, and it's unimaginable. Like, how? Why, God? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? How could you allow this? And it, it makes us question God's goodness. Let's be real. It makes me question God's goodness, and I know how good God is. And I'll scream it from the mountaintop, but I'll also question it from my bedroom. Why did you allow this, God? Why did you allow this? Now there's this loop-de-loop on this roller coaster. Naomi's going back to the homeland. It's like a full circle, right? It's a 360. She's going back to the land of Judah. Why? Because there was provision, it says. There was food in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And then Naomi releases her daughter-in-laws. She could have she pulled the manipulation or the guilt trip. Girls, you have to stay with me. I need you. You need to provide. Sometimes as women, we want to manipulate. And men too. Manipulate and try to get things our way. She didn't manipulate. She released. She said, girls, you can go back to your home. Oh, man, go back to your family. Go back to your gods. I'm not holding guilt above you. You need to come to church with me. You need to. We, we don't have to manipulate as women and as moms. We can trust in God. Naomi trusted in God, and she released her daughters-in-law. One left and one stayed. That was an up and a down. Orpha, which means stiff neck, she left. Ruth, which means friend and companion, stayed. How interesting. Be careful what we name our children. Really pray over those names. And then we see her name change when she went and presented herself. You know, when you go back to your old family or friends or your old church, where, where is it? Where have you been? It's been so long. What's been going on? You know, after maybe after a divorce or after a death, you have to go back and face everyone. And I, it's, it's heavy. It's hard. And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. She was straightforward. She was real. She bore her heart. She didn't put on a fake face. And I think that's beautiful. I like that she kept it real. She says, I went out full in verse 120, and Yahweh brought me home empty. Do you see how she says God did it? She acknowledges his sovereignty. She doesn't curse him. She just acknowledges Yahweh brought me home empty. She still believes in God. She didn't turn her back on him, but I'm sure she's confused. And there's times where we will acknowledge it and we might be confused, but you know what? We can acknowledge God's sovereignty. He knows what he's doing. She says, the Almighty has afflicted me. And she returns. And what's beautiful is she brings back Ruth. And I'm thinking, this woman is a Moabitess. But now here she is in God's land, ministering to God's, you know, people, Naomi. Salvation, restoration, transformation. If anything good that I can see coming from all the ups and downs is Ruth's just salvation, her transformation, her, her knowledge of the, the one true God is everything's changed in her. She said, your God will be my God. We, she has faith. That's beautiful. That is the ultimate gift. I always think if my trials and tribulations can lead to someone's salvation, praise God. That is the ultimate, ultimate reward is knowing that someone now knows Christ and will be with him for eternity. So then we have another up. It's going up now, right? She returns. Her daughter-in-law is converted. They're at the beginning of the harvest. Um, God's timing is so intentional. It's a time of feeding, a time of abundance, a time of provision. God will show you he's going to take care of you. And then we get into chapter two where Ruth meets Boaz. 
So now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does this young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here for morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. And she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She had all that she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with that, the women that work for him, because in someone else's field, you might have been harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So right here, we're getting a glimpse into her meeting with Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Now, something that's so beautiful is... Boaz found favor with her. He, he, and we don't see any example of him trying to find a like romantic relationship. And this is a word to the single woman out there. Boaz offered her protection, provision, and prayer before any romantic relationship was established. He blessed her and he honored her. This is a man of integrity. This is the type of man if you're single, that you need to have. And this is the type of man that your husband can have, become if you're married. Continue to pray and minister and, and just get in the word together. But he offered her protection. 
provision and prayer. He blessed her. Way, but I mean, he barely met her. You can see what kind of man this is. What a good and godly man. This is an example of Christ. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, is an example of Christ to the church. And we're going to see that as we get in deeper um, to the book of Ruth. But he blessed her and he honored her. So we see Ro Ruth meet Boaz. This is another up. Like of all the fields in Bethlehem, this was a divine appointment. Nowhere in scripture do we say she was sent to this field. She just went out to find a field and that just happened to be the field she went in. And it happened to be a close relative of Naomi's husband. And this is huge in that culture because there's some land that needs to be redeemed that belongs to this family lineage. And there's no baby, there's no child, there's no offspring to take this land. So this is God working in an amazing way. So Boaz is a kinsman redeemer out of all the fields she goes to divine appointment. He's a good godly man of integrity. And Ruth desired to glean. She went there with the desire to glean. She went there to pick up the leftovers. She was satisfied. She wasn't complaining and crying and saying moaning and bemoaning. She said, I'm going to go, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get some food for me and my mom. What a woman of God. She desired to glean. And Boaz noticed Ruth. He had already heard about her. The city was already talking about Naomi coming home with this Moabite, his daughter-in-law. And she had already caught the attention of the town. God's light and love was already gleaming from her. Ruth found favor with Boaz. These are ups, ups, ups. They're just up on this roller coaster. Life is good. And Boaz saw her loyalty and faithfulness to her mother-in-law. That was beautiful. A man of integrity is going to find godliness attractive. He saw that and thought, wow, what a blessing. He found favor on her because of her faithfulness and loyalty to her mother-in-law. What, what a godly woman. And I just love that he blessed her and honored her in such a way that he offered that protection, that provision, that prayer before asking for anything in return. He, later on, we see he's surprised that she would even consider him as a potential for a husband. He's like, what? You would consider me? He had pure intentions. He was a godly man. And this is to the godly men out there. Keep having pure intentions. Keep walking with Christ. God will show you the right one at the right time. Just like God's going to orchestrate things together in this story, in this historical account, to bring them together. What an awesome thing that, that God is doing here. So now we're going to get into chapter 3, which I didn't get this far when I was teaching at church because I was trying to keep it under 20 minutes. So we're going to go longer on this one. Chapter 3, Ruth and Boaz on the threshing floor. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. So they, she'd been working there for a while. Nothing was rushed here. It's just like one day, Naomi had this, this you know, intuition. And she said, Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor, did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, Something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. 
spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although this is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one was... No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? And then she told everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So what's happening right now is a cultural norm where in order to redeem this land, so land, it was like given, it was word, like your word of mouth was held in such high esteem. It was like a contract, how we do contracts nowadays. There was a piece of land that should have been for Naomi and her husband's children, their offspring. But remember, both sons died. No grandbabies were born. So there's this huge plot of land that belongs to them that they can't claim. This is God's promise to them. This is their land. Think of it as your home. This is, you have a home, right? And you, and you, you pay your mortgage and you, you buy it in full and then you're going to leave it to your children. That's yours. That's specialty. That's your home. This was their special space. And in order to get it, it had to be redeemed. But because there was still a living spouse, which was Ruth, the guardian redeemer, someone in the family had to be someone in the family. This was a distant family relative, Boaz was. You would have to take the wife in order to receive the land. And you can imagine the problem that would cause. One, if you're already married. Two, if it was not someone you necessarily wanted to share life with. Three, she was a Moabitess. There's strict laws in, in Judaism to not marry outside of, you know, your, your religion. And so there's another kinsman, there's someone else, another family member that Boaz says, hey, yes, yes, and yes, you're a godly woman. Did you notice that? He said, you're a godly woman. Everyone knows that you're a woman of, of, um, of valor. I forgot the word, a different translation. But he said, yes, he did, he did want to accept this, you know, that she's saying, I want you to redeem my family. Like, I'm willing to marry you so that we can keep Naomi's family line going and the, the, I don't know, the obedience of that is just so beautiful. It's such a great love story and to see how God works in such mysterious ways. But he says, yes, I will, but there is someone else that has, they're a closer relative. So if they choose to redeem you, then, then I cannot. And I just imagine Ruth right now thinking, okay, God, I'm being obedient. I did what my mother-in-law told me to do. But wait, 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 who's this other guy? Someone else might be able to marry me? I might have to start a life with someone else. That must have been terrifying. When I look at it and think about it, I'm like, whoa, that would be a drop. Like, uh-oh, what, what, if, what if this one wants to be the guardian redeemer? He has first choice because he's a closer relative. But God is faithful and God worked through it. And I want to just kind of touch on Ruth 3.1. Naomi gave her guidance. She gave her, sometimes when older women or people in our lives, older mentors, 
give us guidance? Do we listen? Because she asked you, like she asked her to do specific things that this culture only understood. I don't really understand the undercover, the uncovering of the feet and all that, but there's some beautiful deep meanings there when you study it deeper. Um, but Ruth obeyed. She was like, yes, I will do whatever you say. And Naomi said, wash yourself, anoint yourself, you know? And when I read this, I automatically think about the washing of the word. Boaz was a representation of Jesus Christ and Ruth the church and washing ourselves, anointing ourselves with the oil or the perfume of the anointing us with the spirit, washing ourselves. This is so important in surviving the roller coasters of life, the ups and downs. We need to be washed in God's word. We need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. We need to make time to connect with God. If we don't, when those roller coaster drops hit, it's going to take us out. It's going to take us out. We're going to get knocked out. We're going to get passed out. We're going to get overwhelmed. But if we are in God's word being washed, if we're in the anointing of his spirit, there's going to be a fresh strength and a fresh blessing there. And so that really stood out to me when I was reading Ruth 3. And she says, go down to the threshing floor, uncover his feet and wait, wait. Sometimes God calls us to wait when we're walking in the promises. Maybe it's been tragedy after tragedy. And you're like, when are things going to get good, God? And he says, wait, trust the Lord and wait because it will be worth the wait. She waited. It says she came softly and laid down. It reminds me of that scripture where it says, um, like, the worth of a gentle spirit, just having a gentle and quiet spirit. She came softly. She didn't come brashly. She didn't come seductively. She didn't come wildly. There was nothing sexual about this. This was very pure. This was very culturally appropriate. And she came softly and laid down. And it says Boaz was surprised. He was surprised. He was not expecting this. He wasn't thinking this. And it says he blessed her and he acknowledged her as a virtuous woman. His intentions were not ill. He did not take advantage of the situation. He was completely pure in his intentions. And he even acknowledged that she was a virtuous woman, which is so awesome because this is a man of, of God and he acknowledges she's a virtuous woman. And it's such a beautiful love story to see how God works. Even after tragedy, after tragedy, after tragedy. Okay, and then he sent her and he gave her a large amount of barley. And he's going to be so clever and so intentional the way he goes and approaches the situation. Naomi said he's not going to be able to rest until he takes care of business today. And I think that's so cool to see that he was like, wow, God, look what you're doing. Like he went right, right to, he went right to the town gate and we're going to jump into chapter four. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Remember, this is the other guy that can be snatching up Ruth and the land, right? Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except for you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. I love how just nonchalantly he's like, hey, there's some land. You want to buy it? You can have it. If not, hey, I guess I'll pick it up. You know, he's so clever. He's so intentional. It just, I love it. I'll redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Very curtly, he says, okay, by the way, you also get a wife. At this, the guardian redeemer said, uh, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. 
You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, I imagine if Boaz approached it a different way, this would have looked different. Boaz was very clever. He was very discerning. And God used it. And I just, I just think it's so neat because I don't know why the guardian redeemer said he would endanger his own estate. I was studying it and some portion said because she was a Moabite um, and that was a, seen as a sin that he was worried that he would just forfeit his own estate. Some other um, suggestions were he already had a wife. Can you imagine the drama that that would cause? He just realized, no, I do not need a second wife or I do not need this woman as a wife. You can have the land. God was working it all together. So that fear, I imagine Ruth had some fears. Oh no, what if this guy says yes? Oh my goodness, what did I get myself into? Do you ever have that? God, I obeyed you. I did what you said, but now everything's going south. This is really sketchy. What's going to happen? God always comes through. God is so faithful. He will work it together. Now it says in verse 7, Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. I love that this is not just a storybook. This is a historical book. You can learn so much. It's so rich with culture. It's so rich with wisdom. These are actual accounts. These things really went down. Like this is how they, this is how they made, you know, deals. They would take off the shoe. Like, what do we do to make our word good? You know, we shake hands, we sign a contract. Like, this was their way of doing things, and it's just so fascinating to me. There's so much depth and meaning when you really get deeper into it. So he removed the sandal, verse 9, we're in chapter 4. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Mahlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite. Mahlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then all the elders and the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. The people are blessing him. No one's saying this is weird or sketchy. I know in our, our culture, we're kind of like, wait, what? Like, she's marrying her, her late husband's relative? Like, how wrong could you be? This is Jerry Springer stuff. I mean, we look at it different because of our culture. Now, this is a norm in their culture, and this is very honorable, this is very pure, and this is very good because of the way this culture was laid out. And the people of the town you know, it was a beautiful thing. They were, they were encouraged. They were blessed. They pronounced a blessing on Boaz. He was such a man of integrity. He had such a good reputation. And so did she, barely rolling into town. And she, everyone knows that she's a woman, a woman of, of valor. So we get into verse 13. We're at the end stretch. Stick with me. Naomi gains a son. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. Remember, she was 10 years barren, plus more after her husband passed away. But it was God's timing. Women, men, God's timing is perfect. God's ways are perfect. The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. 
May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The father of David, the lineage of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to the genealogy of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. This is the new baby. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. What an amazing and beautiful end to the book of Ruth. A happily ever after, that roller coaster that was flipping and spinning and going up and going down has come to a stop and it's a beautiful stop. It's a beautiful ending. Boaz, his name means strength. Obed means serving. Jesse, who was the next son, means offering or a gift. David means beloved. And then David's going to have a son, Solomon, which means peace. God took a really rocky and really messy situation. He did something amazing and beautiful. In 4.15, it said, He shall be a restorer of thee, of thy life, and a nourisher of thine in your old age. He will be a restorer to refresh, to repair, to bring back. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Remember, Boaz was an example of Jesus. He redeemed what was lost. There was hopelessness. There was no, there was no hope. It was over. But then Jesus came into the scene he brought life, he brought resurrection, he brought fresh new chances. And that's exactly what Boaz said in this family, where we're, I'm kind of interchanging the two, where he brought restoration to this family. And not only that, this is the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, which is so beautiful. And so, I know it's 41 minutes. Caesar's pointing at the time. Told me to do it. It's so beautiful and it's so awesome to see how God brought it all together. And it's an encouragement to us whenever we're going through those ups and downs of life, when it feels like it's drop after drop after drop, do not give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't, don't say that's it. It's over. I mean, acknowledge what's going on, but keep pressing forward because God's not done yet. If you're still here, if you still have breath in your lungs, God's not done yet. Yes. It was tragic that she lost her husband. Yes, it was tragic that she lost her two sons. Yes, it was tragic that all these things happened in such, you know, a, a tremulous period of time. But you know what? God took what the enemy meant for evil and he turned it for good because he brought the lineage of our Lord and Savior through this family, through these two women's obedience to God and through their perseverance through trial. The Lord literally brought the one that would be called Savior of the world. And what, what are we doing now? Thousands of years later, we're studying his word. We're finding hope for our stress, for our drama, for the death that we're dealing with, for the tragedy that we're dealing with. We can look back to God's word and say, you know what? God did it for them. God will do it again. God was good then and God is good now. Yes, tragedy is happening and it's scary and it makes no sense. And we feel like Naomi, bitter, forget it. God turned his face against me. But no. God is just orchestrating things together. The enemy is the one that is causing the bad and God will orchestrate it together for the good. So hold on to your faith. Hold on to your God. Fill your feelings, but don't stay in them. 
Scream your prayers out. Don't hold them in. Let God know how you feel. He's a big enough God. He can handle it. And he will come right back and show you his goodness and show you his mercy. It's not going to change his mind if you yell a prayer at him. He's not going to, you know, change the whole course of history. His will is his will. And his will is to prosper you, to bless you, to bring you good, not harm. His will is for you to have a hope in the future. And it's so important that you persevere through whatever trials you're going through, just like Naomi and Ruth did, and see what God is going to do. See what beautiful thing God is going to birth out of the adversity. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it hurts. Yes, suffering is never easy or fun. But guess what? Jesus suffered. Jesus got whipped and scourged on the cross. He didn't deserve it. That was completely unfair. Guess what, guys? Bad things happen to good people. The most goodest, purest, holiest creature to ever walk this earth, our almighty God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, some really, really bad things happened to him. And you know what? He rose again and he said that we will rise again. So when you're going through those trials and tribulations, I want you to be encouraged that better days are coming and don't give up. The roller coaster might make no sense and it might be flipping and turning and churning and throwing you all over the place and you think you're going to just be done, but it's not done. God has something good in the end. So keep pressing forward. Keep seeking the Lord. Wash yourself in his word. Anoint yourself with the oil of the spirit. Get into fellowship. Get into worship. Put good things in your ears and eyes. Turn on the podcast. Listen to Christian radio because we need that so that we're prepared when those ups and downs of life come. I love you. God bless you. Be glor- Let God be glorified through your afflictions. Praise him through the troubles. I encourage you.